Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. Greek legend that goes like this. King Philip II of Macedonia was offered an untamed horse for a high cost. A large sum of money. As legend has it, his son Alexander was there, about 13 years old, watching this bucking bronco and decided he could tame the horse. So he made a wager with his dad. If I can tame this horse, then you'll can you get it for me? And if not, I'll buy it myself. And his dad was like, okay, young man, go ahead. So King Philip watched as his son talked calmly to the horse, turned it toward the sun, and climbed on top of it, watched it go around, and that became his war horse as he successfully tamed the horse, because of one thing he noticed, and that is, that horse was afraid of its shadow. In that moment, his father was watching his son, and he said, in short, Macedonia is far too small of a kingdom for one like you to reign. He saw the greatness in his son in that moment. And Alexander was one of the greatest, building one of the greatest empires in ancient history. It's not just that animals tend to be skittish of their shadow. Have you ever seen a little one see their shadow for the first time? My Cece, when she was about a year, was terrified of her shadow when she first saw it. Take a look. for a long time. I've watched that video like 18 times now. It's so cute. We can be really skittish about things that we don't understand. And and I want to remind us um, that we are in the middle of Psalm 23. We're stopping in verse 4 here, and it reads, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
I find it interesting that we have spent some time, these first few verses, we've been in green meadows and still waters. We've been with our shepherd who said, you have no lack. And then suddenly we're taken into this valley, the shadow of death. Before we ascend back to the banqueting table, where he sets us a feast before our enemies. There's like this in-between moment that we have to stop and consider. The valley of the shadow of death is real. It's a real place. Many of us have visited that place before. Some of us have gotten stuck in that place, right in the in-between. There seems to be evidence of death all around us, a place of distress. This phrase is a poetic phrase. It's not just the valley of a shadow of death. It feels so dark that you can't see the hand in front of your face, is what, these, what um, David was speaking about. It was this Jewish phrasing. We can't see death clearly, and so we think it's everywhere. It sort of taunts and torments us into believing that we should be afraid, that there's evil all around us. So I want you to take a minute and close your eyes. No cheating, okay? If we got real still and real quiet, and we closed our eyes completely, and we didn't move, how would we know that somebody's next to us? If the darkness was so thick that we couldn't see our own hand in front of our face, how would we know unless we reached out or unless somebody reached back out to us? Unless they said something to us, hey, I'm right here. Unless we called out to see if they were right there. Open your eyes. That is like the valley of the shadow of death. We won't know who's around us or that someone is there unless we take a moment, unless we consider what it's like to go through those places. We often feel like this is the world we're living in, right? Tormented and taunted and, and tempted to agree with the darkness, to agree with the shadow of death, to believe that it's coming for us too, which is why it takes some time for us to stand and worship and go, ah, God, you are more than able. Wait a minute. You are more than able. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? See, just like that horse of Alexander's, our, we need to move our face toward the sun so we won't get stuck in that shadow, in fear. We kind of have this way that we consign ourselves to this problem. We say, this will be how it is. This is what it is. Have you heard that statement before? It is what it is. Yep. It, well, it just is what it is. And the Lord is inviting us in the valley of the shadow of death to say, the way it is, it doesn't always have to be that way. It no longer has to be the way it has been. 
It no longer has to be the way it has been. But man, we love those statements. We get wrapped up in our own shadow, too wrapped up to see the light all around us, the light that beckons us. For those who don't believe in Jesus, that darkness has no light, which is why we go to them with light. But for us, the Holy Spirit is constantly saying, come up, look up, look up, here I am. Let's walk through this. Take my hand. I'm right here. I've told you guys this story before, but I'll, it bears repeating because sometimes I get that feeling again. When we were in Africa and all the lights were out and there was no moon in the sky and I was in a foreign place that I had never been before in a bed that is not my normal bed and they had stories circulating about what was happening in that country and I had heard them. And as I lay there in the stillness of the night, I woke up and I couldn't recognize, there was nothing recognizable about where I was, including the darkness. And as my husband was moving in the bed a little bit, I thought, but I couldn't feel him, I was like, I'm in the back of a truck. I thought I was in the back of a truck in the middle of South Africa. This was my mental state because I woke up with that fear of what I had heard. And I called out, Mickey, Mickey, where are you? And I grab his hand and he's right there within an arm's reach of me. But I had to recognize and believe that there was another way than to just stay there in darkness and fear. I had to call out. And of course he responded, Hey, I'm right here. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Stop freaking out. We're fine. You're in Africa. It's okay. I'm here with you. The lights went out. Ah. The Lord is calling us to perceive the hour that we are in. To heed the word of the Lord and to go with his power through the valley with him. At the prayer burn on Thursday, Pastor Cindy had this prophetic word while we were there, and she saw this vision of everyone looking at their watch. Everyone was looking at the time. And they were being invited to know the hour that we're standing in. That there is an hour that we're in right now that we cannot miss, that the Lord is inviting us into, even though it feels like the valley of the shadow of death in some places of our life. It could be in your marriage, it could be in your family, it could be with particular people, it could be in your job, your ministry, your faith, your maturity, wherever it is with your health or finances. The Lord is saying you may have one area of your life that you're feeling like you're walking through a valley or many, but perceive the hour that you are in because valleys are made to be walked through. Valleys are made to be walked through. There's something that happens before that's good, if, it, if the valley started here, we would never move because <laughs> we wouldn't know that there was hope. But when there's something like green meadows and still waters, there's an invitation and the Lord says, I've, I've been your good shepherd. I'm going to walk you through this valley. If you'll stay with me, don't get stuck here. If you keep walking with me, if you stay faithful like Tracy, I'm going to walk you out of this valley that feels dark and we're going to go to a table 
I have a feast I've prepared for you. Come on. So if that's the moment that you're in, you're going to love this. We are positioned in a place that is not yet. Whatever God has said or promised, we have not seen with our earthly eyes, right? I love how the Lord just sets up all these things, like Maria's word, Tracy's word. He's just like, girl, I got you. So whatever God has said or promised, we haven't seen in fullness. We haven't come to the fullness of time for whatever the revelation is. We're still standing, waiting in the valley. We don't see the fullness yet, okay? I believe that it's in these in-between places more than the meadow and more than the banquet table that our very identity is tested. Just like Alexander the Great, we find out what we're made of and who we want to become. Our character is forged in earthly lack, for that is where we find heaven's plenty. Our character is forged in earthly lack, for that is where we find heaven's Think about the Israelites in the wilderness. This is where they saw manna and quail rain down from heaven. This is where they saw the fire by night and the cloud by day. This is where God wasn't confined to a box or behind a curtain. This is where they saw him part the Red Sea and they got water from a rock. It was in the wilderness that they saw these things. It was before they entered the promised land. There was something so beautiful about that season. If they were willing to perceive it. There is this perception that waiting for the fulfillment of a promise that God has given you is the lack, that the valley is the lack. And the fruition of the promise is the fullness, that now we're in fullness. But I'm telling you, there is something about being the valley that you see the fullness of God in a way that you can't see it in any other place that he's so near to you that there's nothing there's no noise in that place he's just right there he's close at hand his presence is so tangible because you have no alternative you cannot walk through the valley like that without your shepherd you'll get lost And I think that's why this is fixed in the middle of Psalm 23. It's a reminder. For some of us, it could be a warning, a, 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 an idea that's coming. Something's coming. Right before the Israelites were moving into the promised land, they were warned to remember. Because they were starting to already like, oh, they can taste the honey on their lips. They could taste the milk. They were getting so excited. They're like, come on, take us. I'm tired of this valley in this wilderness. Would you let us go in? He's like, I got to tell you something before you get there. Perceive the hour that you're in, because this is going to take you into the fullness, and you will not want to this, or you'll be back in a valley. You, I'm not trying to take you in. We do that. We like we're like, I'll, I'll go this way, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the valley, and I'm going to try. And he's like, I'm not trying to lead you into that valley. You keep circling this drain. You keep getting stuck there. Don't suffer for suffering's sake. Walk with me through these places. My grace is sufficient there. 
Deuteronomy 8, a few verses in there. It says, remember how the Lord your God to the Israelites led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. How faithful and patient is our God, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Because he knows this is the place that you'll start listening. When you have no alternative, no other way out, okay, maybe I'll listen. When everything's in plenty, you're like, meh. I mean, this is working out just fine, right? I don't so much need these, this fasting. Like, isn't it a time for feasting? I got that podcast or that blip on Instagram. I don't really need to study your word. They did it for me. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That will change our life. If we just got that one verse, change and transform our life forever. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is his desire to take us into those places. He is so good and goodness itself that he cannot help but bring us into good places. It would go against his nature to not bring us into good places. But that is the time to be careful, it says. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. What did they do? (laughs) That's what they did. They arrived in the land of plenty, and they started worshiping the gods of the foreigners and doing what everybody else did instead of being a beacon of light, instead of standing out with the way they lived their lives and how they loved one another. They fought, and they hurt each other, and they kept their eyes someplace else besides on the light, on the one true God. In plenty, they still perceived lack and cried out for more. They had all that was available to them, everything they had hoped for all those years. And they said, not good enough. I probably need another God to serve. Interesting about the 23rd Psalm is it was David's story. He was writing from the places of wilderness. He was a shepherd, so he knew shepherds well. He saw sheep all around him as he was hiding out from Saul, who was trying to kill him for no reason. He kept accusing David of wanting to kill him, and David was like, man, I'm not trying to kill you. You're trying to kill me. I'm running away from you. You think I'm running toward you? I'm running away from you. I'm the mouse, you're the cat. But he thought it was the other way around. Saul had lost his mind. So here is where we see that in lack, in this wilderness period, that there's a place of fullness. 
We see it in David's story, which is why we can understand so much more context in the 23rd Psalm. I don't know if it was in this moment that David wrote this, but I kind of think it might be. So that's just like the Bible according to Aaron. That's okay. It might not be true. Maybe it is. I don't know. But 1 Samuel 23, 24 through 29, we're going to see how there is fullness in the midst of this place of running, of going through this valley. David has been anointed king, but Saul's still on the throne. And David honors that position, even though he's already been called and anointed as king. He's waiting. He's in the valley. He's been given a word. He's been spoken to by the Lord and by his priest Samuel. And now he's here running away from Saul. It says, Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness in the Arabah Valley, south of Jeshimon. When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went even further into the wilderness to the great rock, and he remained there in the wilderness of Maon. But Saul kept after him in the wilderness. Saul and David were now on opposite sides of a mountain. Just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men, an urgent message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight the Philistines. Ever since that time, the place where David was camped was called the Rock of Escape. David then went to live in the strongholds of En Gedi. Now, we go on to chapter 24, and this is so key. I could have said a lot of things about this, but I just think the Bible says it better, so we're just going to read this portion. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 men. David only had 600. Five times. And these were elite troops from all Israel went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats at the place where the road passes some sheepfold. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, as the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into power, into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Oh, he was about to take all of that wilderness experience into his own hands. It was so tempting. The death, the torment, the taunting all around him, even his own advisors were telling him, this is your moment. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to the Lord my king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. What character of this man. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true, for the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. Man, he's honest. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. 
I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you've been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a single flea. Hey, humility. May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. When David finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? He began to cry and he said to David, You are better than a man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. You have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king, and the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. David walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And so near to him was the presence of the Lord that the thing that would end all of that trying and trial and valley was at his fingertips. And he restrained himself because of his character built in the valley, because of who the Lord had become to him, because of what the Lord had told him and what he knew the Lord would provide because of his obedience. There is going to be a time like it did for David, when you're going to see those promises fulfilled, those things that the Lord has said and declared over your life and over your family and over your finances and over your health, there will be a day that you will see those things. Will you be ready? See, I believe that each of us is a vessel. I've got some apples here. Oh, no problem. These apples, pardon me, reveal, they're like gifts the Lord has given us. And Ephesians say that the gifts of the Lord are given without repentance, which is why you can have leaders in the church that have gifts, but have never prepared. They've never walked through the valley with the Lord. They've never let their character be tested and tried and come out on the other side. And so they have more moral failures. And they have sin that they never dealt with because the gifts are given without repentance and God won't revoke them. And so they get placed in a vessel for a time that they are to be presented. And my question to us today is if you are a vessel full of gifts for the Lord, will you let this time, will you let your vessel be tarnished or polished? I was going to do this in front of you, polish this vessel, because I've picked up at the thrift store. And they were both pretty bad. And I went to polish this guy. And man, it was messy. The process was so messy that I couldn't even do it up on stage. You guys would have laughed at me more than you already do. <laughs> but as I was doing this, it like started to write itself. So I've got this thing here, and if you're a vessel, 
And the Lord is just taking you in his hands for such a time as this and allowing you to be polished and cleaned up so that when he sets you in the places of bounty, of fullness, you will be ready. You will be lacking nothing. But what's so great about this is when you're in the hand of the one who polishes you, you reflect more. I can see more of me in this vessel than I can here. I can hardly make myself out. But in this one, I see my nose, my eyes. I see the fullness of who I am. Do you see why these processes that the Lord has you going through can be an invitation, like James says, to build character in us, to be fortified in faith and maturity, not lacking anything? If we would submit ourselves to this process, see, we're not inanimate objects. We have a free will. We can toss ourselves right out of his hands and say, I don't want this. I reject this process from you. Leave me in this valley by myself. The Lord won't leave you there. But man, it's going to delay the goodness that he has. Valleys are meant to be walked through. Don't stay stuck in the valley that you're in. Press in with worship. Press in with his power. Keep moving through, even when it looks bleak. And you've got to call out, are you still there? Am I in a truck in the dark, in some place foreign? Nope. You're right here with me. I haven't left you one time. I've been here all night. 2 Timothy says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Be polished. Submit yourself to that process. That's really what work hard means. It means submit myself to that process with the Lord of being committed to him and who he is. You're being invited to not let the weight become a weight, like a burden or a waste. We are being invited to not let that weight of time become a weight, a heaviness, or a waste. I want you to know that you can't have a shadow without light. If you have a shadow, you must have light. And the darkest shadows have the most light available. It is when the sun shines brightest that the shadows are darkest, like on that day with Cece. If you choose to look toward the sun, the shadows really kind of minimize. I want to tell you one more story before we close. My word last year was fullness, which was a lot of fun because I saw the fullness of God and his love, and this word was spoken over me about how God was pursuing me with his love. And it was really amazing and such a wonderful year, even though it was a valley in a lot of ways. I experienced God's fullness. And I was at a prayer summit last year, and they had all these tables set up, Jesus, God the Father, Holy Spirit, and a banquet table. 
And I went to each of the tables and I got to the banquet table and I was just like, what is this? How come I can't sit here? I sat in a seat that was meant for me to engage and receive from the Lord and I could not sit. And I looked up at the Lord and I'm like, I would rather bring a thousand people to come sit at your banquet table than to sit here myself. It's like, yeah, I know. We're going to walk through that. This year, and we did, we walked through some things that I needed to get clear and out and in and just fix. I didn't fix it. He fixed me in a lot of ways. I came back to those same tables this year just a few weeks ago, and when I saw the banquet table, I rejoiced. And the Lord said, you and I have done some work here. Enjoy today. Enjoy this time that you can sit now at my banquet table and you can receive from me in a way that you couldn't last year. Last year, my, lo- my word was love and fullness, and he was just depositing all this good stuff in me in the midst of some really, really dark places. And this year, when I approached January 2024, what is my word, Lord? Discipline. No, I said. <laughs> I don't want that word. Let's go back to love and fullness. It's like, no, discipline is your word. You're going to see some things through discipline and my discipling of you that's going to be different, a different place of fullness, a different place of beauty, a different place of power, a different place of me. Okay, sounds good. And do you know, six weeks in, I don't know how your resolutions are going, but I believe that God doesn't want to give us resolutions but revelation every year. He wants us to walk out his revelation in us. And so that's what we're doing. You can start playing, Nathan. You're so awesome. He wants us to walk out his revelation, to come into agreement with what he's saying for this year. And I'm telling you, I am walking in greater fullness of who he is now as he's like rendering things out and stripping them away in my life in these first six weeks than I did probably all of last year. He feels so close to me and I feel so close to him. And when my daughter asked, Mom, why were you, why were you like struggling with this word discipline? Why would God give you that word? And immediately Hebrews comes up. The Lord disciplines those he loves. I said it without even thinking, and then I was like, oh, Jehovah Sneaky, he set me up. He said, I'm going to show you all my love and all my fullness, and then we're going to come to a place of a valley, and we're going to walk through it, and it's going to be less because you're going to walk with me. You're not going to stay stuck there. That is our invitation, you guys. That's our invitation to receive the fullness of what God has, to recognize the time that we're in and to not waste this moment where he's inviting us to render out what needs to be gone and to come into agreement with what he has for us, that there's hope here. If we had no hope, we could not move on, but there's hope in him. Would you stand with me?
I have a series of questions I want, and they're on the Bible app. You can scan the code on the back of the chair to get those. And in every season, Jesus is forging your identity in him. So I'm gonna invite you to ask some questions daily that's gonna put you before him in a posture of humility, honor, and a disciplined heart. And maybe someday you get to one question, and maybe some days you get to all five. But I'm just inviting you. I don't know what your time with the Lord looks like, if you've never had a practice of that. But to be discipled by Him means to ask Him questions and wait for Him to respond. He wants to forge your identity in Him. Your first question is, Jesus, how do you love me? Jesus, how do you love me? We can't go anywhere without knowing that we are fortified in love. Jesus, how do you want me to rest in your love? These two questions, you could ask them the same ones every day for it in your life. And it would change you. But then whether in lack or in plenty, we can move on to three deeper questions. Where are you calling me to be obedient to you? In what ways are you leading me into discipline? And how do you want me to use the gifts you've given me to expand your kingdom? I think we have those questions on the slide. So I'd love our prayer ministers to come up. I'm going to read them again. Would you just close your eyes with me? Just silently, under your breath. Can you just ask Jesus, Jesus, how do you love me? How do you want me to rest in your love? And if you have rested in that love and you know what it feels like and you sense that you're in that season, then I'm going to invite you to move on. To ask him, where are you calling me to be obedient to you? How are you leading me into discipline? How do you want me to use the gifts you've given me to expand your kingdom? I pray that you would perceive the hour. And if you need a witness to what God is saying to you, maybe you're hearing him for the first time tell you how he loves you. Hallelujah. How he wants you to rest in his love. Hallelujah. These prayer ministers are right here, but maybe you've been in a valley and you've needed him to speak close to your ear. Holy Spirit, would you speak close to their ear right now? 
with our eyes closed, would we hear your voice in the stillness? Because it drives away fear, drives away the insecurity, drives away the questions and the doubt. Your voice is the remedy. Your voice is the remedy. And maybe you've been in a valley for a long time. You've been circling that drain. You've been stuck. Because you feared discipline. You didn't know that discipline was because he loves us. You didn't know there was fullness available in discipline. You're invited to come up and just receive some prayer. To shift that perspective so that you would receive the fullness of what God is offering even in the valley, even in the in-between. So Father, I bless your people right now with the abundance of your presence in every season, in every place of valley, in every place of perceived lack, Father, would you show them your abundance? Would you remind them of the hope of your table? Jesus' name.